Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Newsweek's Foreign Service. I'm Josh Lowe. And I'm Marin Gedda. And each week we look at big stories from the US and what they mean for the rest of the world. This week we're in Senate House at the University of London and we're looking at the issue of how much privacy we allow our politicians. Yes, and it's an issue that's particularly relevant, I think, this week, given Hillary Clinton's bout of pneumonia. So she was attending um, a memorial event for the victims of 9-11 and she was filmed stumbling into a van and her campaign has since said she had pneumonia. And people are now saying that, especially given her age, she's 68, she needs to release her medical records and so too, by the way, does Donald Trump. But the real question is, do we have any right to pry into someone's medical records? And America demands all sorts of things to their politicians. Medical records is becoming more common, but less totally standard. And then you've also got um, tax returns, which is an issue. This election, Donald Trump is refusing to release his, but that's been a standard thing in America for a while. It's not the case all over the world. No, it's not at all. You know, France is a prime example of a country that really values the, the right for politicians to have privacy. And in fact, I think when President Francois Hollande was pictured with his, uh, his mistress, the actress Julie Gaillet, 77%, I think it was, of French people said that the, the magazine Closer, who, t- who took the pictures or published them, had no right to do so. So it really does beg the question, I mean, how much should we expect politicians to reveal? Yeah, so it's a country-by-country country thing. It's a philosophical debate. There's a lot to get into. Maybe enough from just us. Let's uh, bring in our guests, and we have with us this week uh, Sarah Churchwell, a professorial fellow in American literature at the School of Advanced Study at the University of London, and Joseph Downing, a fellow in European politics at the London School of Economics and ex-University Marseille. Welcome to you both. To kick off then, let's have a look at this medical records issue. I mean, to me as a, as a British person uh, covering a lot of British politics, um, health records are kind of not something that is often demand, but it's become a real issue in this election. And just before we go on to it, we've got a clip of Ben Carson, who uh, originally challenged Donald Trump for the Republican presidential nomination, saying that he thinks voters should be able to see uh, both candidates' records. As people get older, a lot of things begin to go wrong with their bodies. And I think the American people have a right to know. So the American people have a right to know. What do we think? Yeah, I saw some, some questionable uh, expressions while that was playing. Well, my questionable expression was based on the idea that Ben Carson has just informed us that as people get older, that might have an effect on their health, which I think pretty much everybody knew. I don't think Ben Carson's the smartest person to ever run for president. Um, but look, the, the question of whether um, the American people has a right to know the history of the health of their politicians, that um, historically that has not been the case. 
Um, and in my view, rights aren't natural. Rights are, they historically evolve. They are politically granted and socially granted. So um, there has never been a precedent where people had the, had the right to know that or, or um, where, where it has been, uh, where politicians have chosen to reveal their health records in the past in America has been when they, they did just have a big health issue, right? So if they were about, you know, if they just had a heart attack or they just had surgery or something and it was germane. And so it was, and then they would do it as a, as a kind of gesture of good faith, as a kind of movement towards transparency and, and disclosure. In this election, it has a different spin. And the, the, there are so many things that are different about this election. It is a highly unusual election, as everybody knows. Um, and one of the reasons why this question about Hillary's health has a different spin is because she's the first female candidate. And the fact is, is that Donald Trump raised the question of her health long before there was any reason to believe that she had any health issues at all. She now has pneumonia, which is very different from some kind of congenital problem that makes you unfit for presidency. She has a transient illness that she will get over. It's a very common one. She takes antibiotics and she'll get better. So the idea that that somehow means that she is concealing something that makes her unfit to be president is a deeply um, problematic implication that the media is making and they're, and they're picking up on Trump's implication. In my my view, what's really important about this is that when Trump first raised the question of her health, and he's also done it in terms of her appearance, he keeps talking, he, he had this um, phrase last week where he said, she just doesn't look presidential, does she, fellas? And as a lot of people pointed out, the way in which Hillary Clinton doesn't look presidential to fellas is that she is female. And for a lot of us, this emphasis on her health is a kind of covert, sly way of suggesting that she's not strong enough to be president, that she's not fit to be president, that she's too weak and frail. And all of these are, of course, very old misogynistic tropes about women not being strong. I mean, the exact same accusations were made by the ministers of Queen Elizabeth I to say that her female body was too frail for her to govern the country. And what we're seeing is a very, very ancient trope that's being updated in ways that I think people don't recognize as and and they think it's they think it's um, playing the gender card to say that this is sexist and yet there is this very very old and um, unvenerable tradition of doing this and that's what I think is getting tapped into here. But I think also I mean not not to go on record as agreeing with Donald Trump because clearly I don't. <laughs> but from from a sort of cynical perspective, looking at democracy as a process of recruitment for a job, if we think of it like that, in terms of recruiting someone for a job, which is actually especially president of the US, probably one of the most important jobs in the world. To think that you could get that job actually without a medical, given that airline pilots, bus drivers, and you know a whole host of people with occupations with, I mean, public safety implications, but nowhere near the public safety implications of somebody who has access to the world's largest nuclear arsenal, is actually quite surprising. From an abstract perspective, it does actually seem quite paradoxical. But you could get that right by, you, you know, it doesn't have to be a medical in the glare of uh, the, the opinion of millions and millions mm. of voters, does yeah. it? Well, no. Well, actually, the, given that the voters are technically the recruiters of the next president, they have to be convinced that they are fit for the job and make the decision. You could actually then, from a sort of political philosophy perspective, take it that step further and say they are effectively the interview panel that needs to be convinced. How far do you go with medical records? Because with someone like Hillary Clinton, and by the way, Sarah, I fully agree with you on the misogyny point. I do think gender and misogyny yeah, is coming into a lot of this. Yeah. But with Hillary Clinton in particular, she's had, I think, three clots. And people have said, you know, she's 68, she's going to be flying a lot. Maybe we need to know if she has a problem with clotting because that's something that aeroplanes can exacerbate. I mean, how far do we go with the records? Because what if we heard that, I don't know, Hillary Clinton has taken antidepressants or Donald Trump has, and then there will be a very yeah. nasty side of yeah. the voters yeah. who might say, yeah. well, they're mentally unfit for office. And, and, and paradoxically, some of the 
sort of historical political leaders of, of several countries in the world that are considered to be some of the best leaders, such as Winston Churchill, Franklin Roosevelt, actually were not in very good physical health. Yeah. And indeed, you know, Churchill famously was bipolar, right? Yeah. I mean, he had, oh, no, bi- I don't think he was bipolar. I think he was unipolar, but he certainly had Depressive very episodes. serious chronic depression. Mm. And, um, and yet, did that make him a bad leader? Well, most of us would say no. Um, he, you know, he battled it, and so exactly, there are these stigmas that are, that get um, mm. that that get recirculated, that get resuscitated, mm. that are that are very dangerous. Mm. And mm. when we're already in such a toxic political climate yep. and yep. with such a toxic yep. election, it seems to me that that's just kind of you know fueling the flames and yep. and um, you know throwing tinder on it. But that said, I mean, I agree with Joseph in, in principle that there is a, a sense that, and and it's the same argument that goes for the um, tax records. The reason why. Why presidential nominees have voluntarily uh, released their tax records for the last 50 or so years um, is, again, in that spirit of good faith and disclosure to say we are above board, our financial, uh, you know, um, practices are. And, and, and as you say, it's not just the, the, your health. I do want to know, actually, if my president is involved in financial misfeasance. That is, that is important. It is, as you say, if it's, a, if it's a job application, there are these kinds of things where you say, look, there are these, you need to be qualified, you need to be credentialed, and we need to know that certain very low thresholds of, uh, you know, propriety are, uh, are, are, are being honored. And yet then, as Miran's suggesting, that becomes a slippery slope very, very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all kinds of moral and ethical yeah. questions yeah. get raised. And that gray area of, you know, as you say, of, of adultery, does that matter? Is mm-hmm. that, well, I mean, obviously mm-hmm. in, Cl- in Bill Clinton's case, it did, it did matter. It's quite significant. <laughs> the other really interesting thing about what, what Trump's saying here, which is actually deeply problematic, is that in democracies, where there is an established rule of law and established sort of constitutional procedures, actually having someone in the presidential position in ill health isn't really an issue. So say if the worst did come to worse and Hillary Clinton died in office, it's not as if there isn't a clear path of constitutional... Um, and presidents have died in office. And yeah, the completely, country has, completely. Exactly. I mean, yeah. we, as you say, yeah. we have we have the yeah. process for that. So, yeah. so actually, even if you take it to a logical conclusion that actually she was ill in office, it wouldn't mm. actually really. Well, and that's the thing is, is is that a lot of this is a kind of magical thinking because mm. it also sort of implies that you know she couldn't get hit by a bus or that you know she couldn't. I mean, things happen as Ben Carson just brilliantly observed. People get older and their bodies start to yeah, go. Yeah, I mean, that yeah. was a you know really yeah. helpful what insight. What we're forgetting is Trump is older than well, Hillary Clinton. I'm not forgetting yeah. that for a minute. <laughs> If, if Trump gets into office, you know, he'll be even older than Reagan, who was the oldest president. But I think, you know, with Trump, what, what needs to be remembered is that this is a man who forced President Barack Obama to release his own birth certificate. Mm. Yeah. This is a man who's forcing Hillary Clinton to release more of her medical records, mm. despite the fact that he's only released, I think, a very odd doctor's note. And I think that really lends greater weight <laughs> yeah. to the claims for him to release his tax records. And we've got a clip from one of our Newsweek reporters, Kurt Eichenwald, basically calling for this. And Kurt's actually, he's got a great feature out. I'm going to plug our magazine now. A great, a great feature in our magazine all about Trump's business dealings, because mm. I think there is definitely a sense that Donald Trump probably is covering up something. You think? Oh, yeah. But let's, let's, <laughs> hear, let's hear Kurt's clip. Trump can disclose the broad confines of everything we would want to know about his financial condition and his financial uh, uh, involvements without doing anything to affect uh, an audit. I think like the, the point here, and, and it's exactly right, and it was it was literally the next thing I wanted to say after this, is that what happens is they have very successfully continued to focus the conversation on Clinton as if somehow she's behaving in an aberrant manner, when in fact it is the, it is Trump who is behaving in the aberrant manner. It is Trump who is not conforming to the normal traditional conventional procedures. 
it is Trump who, in my view, very clearly is hiding things. Um, I, I am among those who think that one of the things he's hiding is that he's not as rich as he pretends to be. Um, I very much suspect that that is what his records would show. Um, but that is speculation, obviously, but it certainly looks that way to me. But so the point is, is that if there are these procedures, if we're saying, look, a, a, a candidate for president ought to be reveal, revealing medical records, then of course it has to apply to both candidates. Every, every aspect of this needs to apply to both candidates. And what we're seeing here is a really pernicious double standard where Hillary is being held to all kinds of not just standards, but, but sort of unrealistic and unprecedented tests, whereas Trump is being, is, is being tested less than anybody in living memory or, or longer, the less in history. Yes. And while he is far and away the least qualified person to ever run for the American presidency, and yet he seems to be the one who is being challenged the least and um, and being pushed on these aspects the least. And I agree with, with Paul Krugman's column in the New York Times, again, I think it was last week, where he said that Trump is being graded on a curve. Um, and I think that's absolutely right. So if he, he does something that is, that is anything remotely sane and everybody treats it as if it is some kind of, you know, statement of genius. There's, there's kind of, I mean, the fact that we're even having these, these quite heated debates about all these issues. American politics is quite far out here. You know, we've had, <laughs> we've had birth certificates, we've had health records, we've had uh, tax returns are completely standard there, which, which there is much more of a case for, as we've said, but is not standard everywhere in the world. Um, why, why does the US public, um, or perhaps the US media, or perhaps both, not always the same thing, though we like to think they are. Um, They're not the same thing at all. No. But why, why, why is it part of the political culture in America, do we think? Why is all this disclosure? Why has it become so normal? Well, I mean, it's a, it's a really big question. And I think at the moment, I'm, I'm loath to apply the word normal to anything about the American political process. I think one of the great differentiators between the American political process and other Western democracies of similar levels of development is that the American uh, political system, uh, its relationship to news and the media allows for a for-profit structure. So we don't have state paid for elections. We don't have state paid for uh, political advertisements. We don't have anything like the rules against uh, negative campaigning and all the things that you guys have, which in my view make the political process here so much saner and so much wiser. Because in America, politics are part of the rating system. They, people call Trump ratings gold. Um, he is ratings gold. He is literally putting gold in the pockets of the people who run these media agencies. And what that means is that it is in their best interest and it is profitable for them to keep having these stories in which these, and it's a, it kind of fits with a kind of tabloid mentality of these secrets revealed and scandals uncovered. And that is um, getting tied into the political process because it's part of the 24-hour news cycle. It gives them something to sell. It gives them a story. It gives them a narrative. Is there, is there also a point with this election in particular that Trump and Clinton are so deeply unpopular? I mean, I think we touched on this, Josh, in an earlier podcast, but they both, their popularity ratings are so low. Mm. And I think for both candidates, people are very distrustful towards them. And mm. I think part of being like, we want your health records, we want your tax records, is because of that as well. I think, as you, as you said, Sarah, this is a deeply abnormal election. And I think the calls for more transparency are linked directly to the two candidates. And I think this crisis of legitimacy of the political establishment, left, right, centre, is something that is, is actually all across Europe as well as being mm. in the US. I mean, in, in France, there was so much hope um, with the election of Hollande 
as you know the first socialist president after two terrible terms of of, of sort of centre right ineffectual rule by Nicolas Sarkozy that people's hopes really really did. Um, really were elevated and actually paradoxically the affair allegations that came out in the French press actually did his ratings a, a massive favour precisely because of a, of a similar sort of gender dynamic in French politics where you know people want to see a masculine romantic kind of leader with stature and charisma which Holland really This Mother's Day celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow's furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. He actually isn't. He's actually quite an uncharismatic, <laughs> unstatuteful kind of guy. I mean, uh, suddenly you know, he seems sexy. So, so, yeah, suddenly yeah. the fact that he had an affair made him gave him some sort of um, political credibility in a sense, right? It's convenient that we've got to France because we wanted to look at this question of privacy in a French context, as me and Mirren kind of touched on in the intro. There, it has traditionally been seen a little bit differently there. Uh, before we go on to it, we've got a clip from the, the footballer uh, David Ginola talking in 2014 about the, the disclosures about Hollande's affair with Julie Gaillet that we just touched on and whether he thinks it should have been in the public domain. At the moment, we live in a, a crisis period uh, in, uh, in the entire world. Uh, politicians uh, should be judged by the things they do uh, to change that and to make a better world and not not being judged by the things they do uh, outside their job. Why is that the culture in France different? Is it so different? It's, it's much more private, isn't it? Politicians are allowed a bit more space mm. to themselves. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, one of the interesting things about the French system in terms of its sort of republican tradition that came about through a revolution that overthrew a kind of very excessive absolutist monarchy are actually very well established clear boundaries between certain aspects of public and private life. So the idea that religion is very much something that's okay in the private sphere, but should not come out in, in, in the public sphere or, or in the state. And a similar issue with um, politicians' privacy in that, you know, they are public servants in one domain, but what they do in another doesn't really have to interfere with their role uh, in the state, in a sense. However, even though we've kind of sort of constructed France here as a bit of a counterpoint in that it's got this tradition of respecting the privacy of politicians. Things have actually changed quite dramatically over the past 10 or 15 years. We see with the prosecution of Jack Chirac, 
for corruption during his time as Paris mayor. And he was convicted of a fairly minor corruption scandal and given a two-year suspended sentence. If you speak to anybody that's remotely interested in politics in France or who, who has worked in the state during that time will tell you that Jack Chirac's you know, financial misdemeanors are much greater right, than, than the one that he was eventually um, prosecuted for. Demonstrates that increasingly with this climate of suspicion, people in France actually don't really see the utility of having this clear divide in terms of politicians' privacy. They begin to look and see, okay, so we have had Jack Chirac that's been prosecuted. We've got Christine Lagarde who you know, took a job at the IMF to become the head of the IMF, actually to escape prosecution for a corruption scandal of her own. We see Nicolas Sarkozy, famously when he left the presidency and thus um, lost his presidential immunity, fled to a five-star hotel in Marrakesh in Morocco to wait and see how the dust would settle around his own corruption scandal. And I think when so much financially has gone so wrong, um, with the French state and with uh, the way that politicians have used their connections and used their position to sort of um, enrich themselves, you begin to see this legitimacy of privacy breakdown. But is, is the situation changing in France in terms of people's interest in scandal and in tabloid gossip? Because I think electorates the world over would say, yes, we want to know if our politicians are engaged in financial misconduct. Yeah. But we've also talked about the fact that they were really leery of um, reading about Hollande's affair. Mm. Do you feel that France is moving now more towards wanting to know about every aspect of politicians' private lives? Yeah, I think there's, there's a great deal of nostalgia in France for the old political establishment of leaders like Mitterrand and Chirac, who, in the eyes of French people, had the class to actually keep their private business private. Both Sarkozy and Hollande, to a lesser extent, although, you know, we, we see that the... Um, a fair scandal was broken by a magazine. It, he wasn't exactly discreet. I mean, going on the back of a motorcycle <laughs> isn't the most discreet way no. to get to your mistress's house, okay? It's not the one that I use, obviously. <laughs> but seriously, but I mean, previously, people like Mitterrand, people like Chirac would have had, had families that were kept secret by the French press that lived in government-subsidised housing in very nice parts of Paris. But they, they, they were seen as having, having the degree of class to actually keep their private affairs private. And this is something that's actually broken down where Sarkozy actually, quite cynically, used his relationship with Carla Bruni. Sarkozy, again, is someone who actually is a bit of an outsider in the French political landscape. Someone that doesn't have the um, family connections or necessarily the education that, sh that, that, that you would think someone in that position would need. Someone that also has, actually, recent immigrant and Jewish heritage, which is not very typical of a French president, and also is, is about, you know, four foot six tall, right? So it's someone that, that felt like an outsider and felt a little bit diminished in terms of his stature and his charisma, very cynically used his relationship with someone who is seen as a bit of a muse in continental Europe in terms of her, you know, sordid private life and her ability to strut down a catwalk to very much gain political capital. And I think he changed very much how not just the public... Um, saw this division of public and private, but also actually how politicians use it. Because previously politicians would not have used that to gain political capital, where we've seen um, the last two French presidents use it very, very overtly, actually, to, to boost their own credibility. Mm. I mean, I think one of the reasons for the difference is that the where, say, France and America are, are parallel and, and consistent in the way that the public views the um, behaviour of uh, their leaders... These are, these are all moral questions, right? Mm. We're talking about the morality of the leaders. And so if you're talking about corruption, about financial corruption, everybody has the same moral system, in theory anyway, which is that corruption is bad and that honesty is good. But 
in terms of sexuality, the moral systems are different. Mm. So we don't have the same view of what is good, of whether sexuality is good or bad. And because that shifts actually between the two countries, you have a different, by definition, you have a set of different standards about whether this matters or not. And of course, in America, you have a puritanical, uh, a very old tradition of puritanical value systems that actually predate the liberal continental values of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. You have a theocracy that goes back to 1620. That strain is still very much there, that Calvinist, that Baptist, evangelical strain that goes all the way back to the beginning, but really, really uh, emerged in the early 19th century and has never really gone away. But of course, what we saw with, say, Bill Clinton, I mean, we all, I think, recognized certainly at the time that it was a very cynical exploitation. I mean, that, that most of the people, you know, Ken Starr didn't think, he didn't care whether Clinton had an affair with Lewinsky. It was obviously, it was, it was politically motivated investigation and all they were able to find was the sexual misdemeanor and so that's what they went after and they managed to trap him into perjury and then we all know what happened but because there is a strain of the country that thinks that the sexual morality of the leaders matters then that's something that can be exploited and this debate about uh, the morality of um, how you conduct your sex life is one we've been having quite a lot in the uk where mm. traditionally we love yeah. uh, a good tabloid political sex scandal, not frankly for any so high-minded reason as a, a theocracy like you have in America, no. just because we love it, because no, we're, we're well, British so we're all it's repressed. It's dressed up with the well, yeah, excuses. Yeah, yeah. Of course but, um, they just like the tabloid. But, but we've actually been, there's been several uh, stories recently where there's been a big debate about should it have been published? Is it something we have a right to know? We've got a clip of the Green Party peer, Jenny Jones, talking about a story earlier this year where the then culture secretary, John Whittingdale, had been having an affair with uh, a woman who was allegedly um, a sex worker uh, some, there was a big debate about whether the papers should or shouldn't have published it. But quite honestly, I just think there should be one rule for all, you know, and preferably that people can have a private life and that when you have um, sex between consenting adults, um, that then that seems to be okay in most people's books. Well, what she was kind of getting at there, I guess, is sort of that there is a downside to some of this stuff, or part, that's part of what she was getting at, is that if you drive all kind of ability to have a private life out of politics, mm. are you going to start driving people away? Well, the, I think something that she mentions there that I think actually I disagree with is an idea that there is one rule for everybody. One thing that makes these kinds of questions very difficult to answer, but also fascinating, is that we're talking about a moral stance. But also, this, this in politics, actually, often gets confused with questions of legality. Mm. So we see with this question of, a, of an affair with a sex worker, we see with, you know, David Cameron's issues around tax avoidance in terms of using a trust fund. We're caught between two places, which I think are very difficult places to be caught between. One, which is morality, which is very subjective, which everybody has a very different view on, and legality. So in Bill Clinton's case, what got him impeached, essentially, was, was perjuring himself, which was illegal. Now, actually, just because something isn't illegal doesn't make it moral, and vice versa. And I think these are the two things that are very difficult. Do we just stick to the hard and, and, and very clear legal rules when it comes to politicians' behaviour and say, if they don't break the law, then what they do is up to them. But they seem to, to, to claim legitimacy and to aim to act, as you're saying, actually as upholder of morality in some important ways. And this is where I think the two things become actually quite slippery and very difficult to pin down. And, and I agree, and I think perhaps we do sometimes have to make a moral judgment, as uncomfortable as that is, because very recently we've just seen Keith Vaz, who sits on um, the Home... Well, he sat, rather, mm. on the Home Affairs Committee here in the UK. He's had to 
step down because uh, one of our tabloids published some damaging allegations that he'd been using, um, I think it was male sex workers, and there, there had been drugs mm. present. Whether he took them yeah. or not is, yeah, I think, yeah, less yeah. clear. But part of the reason why people wanted him to step down was the Home Affairs Committee legislates on drugs and mm. it talks about drugs and it talks about sex workers and there had to be a moral judgment there. So yeah, yeah. perhaps we Exactly like that. Cameron who came out as leading the charge against tax evasion as, as this great enemy of you know the social democratic settlement in Europe. It was then discovered that he had himself, <laughs> although completely legal apparently, mm. right, had used... Um, a trust fund at some point to avoid paying a certain amount of tax. And exactly that, it, it then creates this kind of double standard where you then begin to wonder exactly where these individuals are situating themselves. If they are privately enmeshed in a certain world that they then have a sort of public role in, it becomes very difficult to know exactly, you know, where the, where the limits are really. I mean, there was Keith Vaz was also questioned about employing somebody that had the connection to procuring the sex workers that he allegedly used as a chauffeur. So even there, there was, it was seen that it was more than just sexual behaviour. It was sexual behaviour that began to creep into some form of financial corruption. And I, I think, though, that, you know, the, the question of whether we're comfortable making moral judgments about our leaders or about our political system, I think it's interesting because we tend to use the word moral these days only in a kind of traditional sense, um, in a sense to talk about kind of um, right-wing morals, as it were, and yet we don't recognize that there's morality on the left-wing and progressive side. So, for example, to say that I, I don't think people should use racist language is a moral stance. To say that I think that the sexism and misogyny that is infecting the American political cycle this year, I object to that on moral grounds as well as on uh, political, and um, and I think it's in everybody's best interest that we get over it because we really need to get Clinton into office. So there's pragmatic grounds too. But these are moral questions. We're constantly mm. making moral judgments. We just don't think of them as moral yeah, judgments completely. except when we're talking about sex. But yeah. all of these are moral judgments because we're talking about what's right and wrong. And exactly that, the kind of double standard that exists in a lot of instances in this in this idea of declaring your financial affairs. I mean, when I was working in legal advice in London in a social policy capacity, the amount of information you have to give up to the government to even get the most you know residual and small welfare handout in the UK is quite staggering in terms of what you've earned, what tax you've paid, where your earnings come from, all of these things that you actually don't have to declare necessarily when you're going for perhaps the most important job in the country. A lot of different issues been flying around. If I can try and get us all to slightly bring it down a little bit. Um, what for each of you then, what should we be using to determine this? How much privacy should we give politicians? What is what is public and what is private? I think definitely financial affairs should not be private for politicians. I think that the risk of um, sliding into corrupt behaviour and the damage it can do to democracies and to the state and to sort of ordinary people's lives. I mean, there's a famous idea that Chirac's corruption delayed the redevelopment of the poor suburbs of Paris, you know, by two decades. I mean, that was the amount of money that kind of disappeared from the public coffers in France. I mean, it's had a very detrimental effect on, on people's everyday lives. So I definitely think it's a clear-cut case for me that definitely financial affairs um, should be made public. And I think in terms of health, it is, I think we should do exactly what we've always done and the rule should not be changed for Hillary Clinton, which is what seems to be happening, which is that if there is good reason to disclose medical records, they should be disclosed. But again, as and as Miran was suggesting earlier, it doesn't necessarily have to be full medical records, that, that you disclose anything that is in the public interest to know. And maybe there's some kind of, you know, check and balance where you have somebody signing off on it and saying, yes, this is, you know, we've vetted it, but everybody doesn't need to see these records. But that basically, if they appear to be in good health and they say they're in good 
good health. They're, we should give them the benefit of the doubt, have a presumption of innocence. We have a presumption of innocence and a presumption of health. And if they appear to be able-bodied, then that's the, that's the, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. That sounded terrible. They don't have to be able-bodied. FDR was not able-bodied and he was an excellent president. So I didn't mean it that way. But if they appear to be healthy and able to do the job, then great. And also you can't check all of this stuff. As I was saying, you can't, it's not as if any of that would future-proof her from getting hit by a bus. So the the fact is, is that there's, there is magical thinking involved in this too, as if these disclosures will make everything okay and we will there find the perfect leader who has never done anything bad or anything wrong and never made a mistake. And, and that is the kind of level to which Clinton is being held, in my view, wrongly, because I think she is being held to, to unfair standards. So it sounds like kind of a sliding scale then. If, it's, if they're doing something illegal, we definitely need to know. Yeah. If it's going to harm people, yes, we need to know. And then bit more of a gray area when it comes to things like sex and affairs. I think that's all that we've got time for. I'd like to thank our guests, Sarah Churchwell and Joseph Downing. Thank you all so much for listening. Just a reminder that you can catch us every Thursday on iTunes and SoundCloud. If you can't wait till then, pick up a copy of Newsweek Europe or visit us at newsweek.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.